Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffinhagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at, at Church on the Trail. I'm super thankful that y'all are here today. There's lots of places you could be, but you came. And I'm thinking some of you came because there's cooked pig out there, um, you know, in the foyer area. But today, I mean, today is a special day. It's, I mean, it's today's Father's Day. And, and we get to, you know, this is a day where, where fathers just need, get to be king or something. I don't know. That's a stretch. But it is a day, though, that where there's a, there's a spotlight, at least, that, is, that, that gets put on all that being a father is and all that that, that, that means. And I do know for, for some of us that that word, just the word father or the word dad can bring up and well up um, unbearable pain, whether that's because you grew up, uh, whether you're sitting here today and you grew up in a, in a sort of a fatherless home, or if you grew up in a, in a home where, where, the, where your father was there, but he was abusive or he was just mean or nasty or whatever that, whatever that may be. Just the very thought brings up this flood of negative emotions and kind of makes you sweat and kind of makes you shake. You know, that could be your deal today. You know, you may also be sitting here in 2021 having lost your, your dad or granddad in the last year or so. And, uh, and it just, honestly, you're just sad. It brings up a time... Um, where you were sad. And, you know, I thought all week about that. And I had a conversation with somebody in our church who did lose their dad this morning. Um, didn't lose their dad this morning, but I had a conversation this morning. And, but, but, but she lost her, her father, passed away during this year. In fact, his birthday was yesterday. And I said, how are y'all doing? And she said, you know, great. And our conversation was, if you believe that what you believe is really real, really real, then you're not sad. Because if it's real and Jesus really walked out of a grave alive and the gospel is really true, then heaven is not just some crutch to make people feel better, right? Amen. That ought to get a lot of amens. I mean, it's, Jesus is not just a crutch. Now, does he have some big massive shoulders that we can all lean on and does he want us to lean on? Of course he does. But the gospel's true and you will absolutely live somewhere for eternity. And so when that's true, you know, one of the things that the Lord changed for me the, the second I got saved, I'm going to talk about another thing today a little bit, but one of the things he changed is my fear of death was gone, like instantaneously. I don't know if I pronounced that right or not. Just like that, it was gone. I didn't fear death. Now, I may fear the process of dying. I don't know, but I don't fear death anymore because the gospel's true. Jesus lives, we live, Right? So that ought to, if you're here today and, you, and, your, and your father, your dad, your earthly dad did pass away, and not just in the last year, but whenever, and, and it kind of makes you feel a little, just know, you will, if you're a believer, you will absolutely be with him again with 100% assurity. And, it's, and he's not a crutch, and it's not just something to make you feel better. It's not something that they teach pastors in seminary, make people feel better. No, it's true. It's objectively true. And if you're here today and you don't believe that it's true, your unbelief doesn't make it false. Do y'all understand what I just said? It's true whether we believe it or not. It's an objective truth. So um, they're probably freaking out in the back because I wasn't going to say any of that. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we love you today and we are so thankful that you do present us 
with truth. Lord, you, you, let, you gave us this book that you superintended and that you inspired holy men to write. And you give us this book and it's full of truths. And it's not just full of factual truths, but it's, it's a story of you reeling us back in. It's a redemptive story. It's a redemptive history. And it is a love story, but it's a lot more than a love story. But the, the love story that is there is your love for us and your holiness and you're drawing us back to you. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful that you are this, just this perfect model of a father, just the, the perfect template of a father. And so we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, y'all, so today we're going to look at a, at a parable in the New Testament book of Luke. We've been walking through the book of Acts which is Luke's second volume. We're going to jump back into, and we'll jump back into that next week, but today we're going to look at this parable in, in Luke's first volume, the gospel according to Luke, and it's about uh, the amazing, faithful, never-ending love of our heavenly Father um, and, and, and the model that he gives us as, as earthly fathers. If you're a dad today, or if you're going to be a dad at some point, then this model, this template is so, his his template is so perfect. And this parable in Luke is the, is the third in a set of three parables in Luke about the father's steadfast love. The, the first one is about uh, a bunch of sheep. And Jesus says, this is in Luke chapter 15, and, and the first one is about sheep. And, and he says, Jesus says in verse 4, he says, if, if one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the other 99 in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it. He goes after that one until he finds it, right? He doesn't just say, I think I'm going to go look. No, he's not there. And then he goes back. No, it, the Bible says until he finds it. Why is that? Because the shepherd loves the sheep. If the shepherd didn't love the sheep, he wouldn't be doing all that. So that's that first little parable. The second parable is about a woman um, who loses some quine. Anybody know what quine is? God, I'm so old. What was that movie? Jerry Maguire. No. Coin. The woman loses some coins, some change. Drachmas is what they're called. Um, verse 8 in Luke 15 says, What woman, if she has ten drachmas and loses one of these valuable coins, won't, what woman won't, if she loses it, what woman is not going to go light up a lamp and sweep the house and search all over the place until she finds it? She's not just going to glance and say, nah, can't find it. No, she's going to look until she finds it. Well, why is that? Because she as the owner places tremendous value on that coin, tremendous value on, on, a, on a drachma. The third parable in this series of three is where I want to land today, and it's commonly called the story or the parable of the prodigal son. You got three main characters in this story. You got the younger son. Um, who's usually referred to as the prodigal, the prodigal son. And then you got the older son who plays a super important role in the, in the scheme of the whole parable. We'll get to him in a little bit. And, and then you have the father. Now, I want to say a couple things to sort of lay over the top of, uh, of this thing today that I think that people sometimes get wrong uh, or at a very minimum kind of twist a little bit or misconstrue. And people all the time think that this story, they think this parable is about the son, about the younger son. This parable is not about this, the younger son. It's just not. 
the main character in the story is the father. The father's mentioned 12 or 13 times in these verses. Number one. Number two, we often think that the word prodigal means runaway. A lot of times you'll see images and it's the, the runaway son. That's not what prodigal means. It's not. In English, the, the, the word prodigal means reckless. It means extravagant. It means to spend until you ain't got nothing left. That's what that word means. Let's jump into verse 11. It's Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It should be on the screen. Again, Yahshua said, that's Jesus said, a man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that's going to be mine. That's probably just the way he said it. Give it to me. It's going to be mine, just give it to me. He wants Pop's money, but he really is not that interested in Pop's, right? He wants the money, he wants the stuff, but he's not really that interested in the giver of the stuff. That's pretty painful um, for, for a dad when a son either explicitly, like this, either explicitly or implicitly says, like, I'd be okay if you just went ahead and died so I can have your money. But since you're not dead, I'm going to go ahead and take it, and I'll just be on my way. Because that is exactly what this son said. It, I'd be okay if you're dead. Just give me your stuff right now. Pretty painful, I would imagine, if my, I got two sons. If one of my kids, or, or if, my, if they just didn't want any kind of relationship with me, and they just wanted my stuff, which, by the way, I ain't got a whole lot of anyway. But, but it would be painful, nonetheless, whatever it is. If they just didn't, if they just wanted some of my stuff and not really any sort of a relationship with me. There's so much in this parable. There's so much truth in this. Jesus has given us a, a, a really a very good image of what sin is like. Like we don't want God in our lives. We reject his sovereignty. We don't want his control and his authority. We reject his love. Why? Because I want to be in control. I want to be in control, and I, I want to be my own authority, and I want to be my own sovereign. And that can't happen when God is around, so I'm just going to ignore him, and I'm just going to pretend and act like and live my life as if he's dead. Now look at the rest of verse 12. The, the rest of verse 12 gives us um, kind of the, the first little shocker, I guess, of, of this story. The son in, in verse 11 is, give me my stuff. But, and then the rest of verse 12 says, so the father divided the property between them. Like it's crazy because the code in Deuteronomy chapter 21, Deuteronomy chapter 21 says that a son, I'm going to quote this. I don't think this is on the screen. But the code in Deuteronomy says that a, a stubborn, a son that is stubborn and rebellious and lives wildly and gets drunk can be stoned to death. It's a capital offense, taken right, in, right out in front of the city gates and stoned to death. So why does the father in Luke 11, why does he do the opposite and give him his share of his stuff? Well, that's the first point today. And that is that God loves you when you're unlovable. He loves you right when you're in the middle of being unlovable. If you don't have a worship guide too, if you'd raise your hand, we want to get one in your hand. Um, these are some fill in the blanks that are in there. And then the scripture is in there. But here's what I know. It's so easy for me to speak about my own sort of story. And, and I know that before I repented, 
before I believed, before I wanted him, before the foundation of the world, in fact, he set his steadfast love on me and never stopped loving me, even when I didn't love him. Even when I didn't love him, he loved me. I'm not going to say that I ever hated God because I don't think I did. I sure didn't love him. I sure didn't seek after him. I mean, I absolutely didn't. But in the middle of all of that, he never stopped loving me. Look at verse 13. As soon as he could convert his share into cash, this is the younger son that he's talking about. As soon as he could convert his share into cash, the younger son left home and went off to a distant country where he squandered his money in reckless. That's the word that's translated sometimes prodigal. He squandered his money in reckless living. Verse 14, but after he'd spent it all, a severe famine arose throughout that country and he began to feel the pinch. So he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed, the younger son longed to fill his stomach with the carob pods the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him any. Second point today is that God loves you even while you roam around lost in the dark. I told you a minute ago, I never would have said I hated God. If that's something, if that's part of your story, he loved you while you hated him. He loved you while you're wandering around aimlessly and lost. He has set his steadfast, never-ending totally faithful love on you. So this dude in this parable, this younger son, his free vacation started off pretty awesome, at least so he thought it started off pretty awesome. He took his dad's stuff, he sold that stuff on Marketplace or Facebook or something, turned it into cash, and the Bible says that he went, uh, he went off way far away from dad way far away from dad's tired old rules and he squandered all the dollars living this wild life. Living the wild life, gambling and partying and doing drugs and, 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 and getting drunk every night and acting like an idiot. Ultimately, that's what, that's what he did. And you know, you, maybe that's the Ed translation. The prodigal means he's acting like an idiot because that's what he did. He went off. He didn't have to be subject to the father's rules and regs um, um, curfews, whatever it may be, and he just went off in a place, the Bible says, in a distant country, in a, in a place way far off. But then the tide began to shift. Tide began to shift and everything was gone. Money, gone. Friends, gone. Loneliness creeps and sets in. Hopelessness creeps and, and, and sets in. And so now he's begging, Right? He's begging in, in this parable. He's begging for carob pods. He's begging for pig food. Now think about that. He's, that's what he's begging for. So his journey is coming to a conclusion with him taking the absolute lowest and worstest job for a Jew ever. Ever. He gets a job where he's sent into the fields to feed pigs, the absolute dirtiest, filthiest animal possible for a Jew is a pig. And we got bacon out there today. But. <laughs> it's so bad, think about this now, it's so bad that even verse, verse 16 says he longed 
for the pig food. He craved for the pig food. He's begging for somebody to just give him a morsel of the nasty that, that, that pigs eat. So you can, there's no doubt in my mind that he felt physically, emotionally, spiritually disgusting and filthy and dirty. And so Jesus gives us here in this parable, in this sort of in this moment of the parable, a perfect image of the path of sin, of sin's trajectory maybe. It always seems to start off great, like, like it does. I mean, I'm not standing up here and lie to you. It, it kind of always does start off great. This is going to blow you away, but the scripture says in Hebrews, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, says that sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. You probably never heard a pastor stand up on a stage and say sin is pleasurable. Well, look at, look at verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11. And he's talking, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, in this point he's talking about Moses. And he said, this should be on the screen. He says, he chose, he, Moses, chose being mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin. Is that what it says? No, ma'am. There's a modifier right there. What is it? What's the, the word circled? It doesn't just say the pleasures of sin. It says the passing pleasures of sin. The ESV says the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's a modifier because they don't last. The pleasures of sin don't last. They don't. They're fleeting. They're passing. They're, they're bound by time. Sometimes it's a little bitty bit of time and sometimes maybe it's a little longer bit of time, like, I, I don't know. But they're always, the pleasure of sin is always, a thousand percent of the time, they're fleeting. And they pass away. And you know what? That might be right where you are today. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe you're on the front end of that. You're on the, quote, fun end of the pleasures of sin. But let me tell you something. Right behind you, and you can't see it, you're standing on a train track and there's a train barreling down the track. It's coming. It's coming. It may be 50 miles behind you or it may be 50 feet behind you, but, but it's coming. Maybe you're on the passing end of that. The pleasures of sin have passed and you're in a pigsty of broken relationships. Maybe you're in a pigsty of losing your family. Maybe you're in a pigsty of choking debt. Like, I don't know. Or you're in, a, you're in the pigsty of the darkness of a secret sin that is, you're sitting here today and you got 75 ulcers about to rip holes in your stomach. Those are all pigsties. They're probably all pigsties that all of us at some point in our life have probably been in. You know, maybe, maybe today you're, you're, you're coming to this realization that the path that you chose isn't quite delivering on the promises that it made. You know, sin makes all kind of promises. But sin does never keep those promises. They may appear like they're being kept, but they're fleeting and they're passing. You know, Alanis Morissette said this, singer. Yeah, I don't know why I'm quoting Alanis Morissette. But I'm fixing to quote somebody else that you're going to say, why is he quoting her? But it's talking about the promises that fame makes. And she said, fame won't raise your self-esteem. Fame won't create profound connections. It's not going to heal your childhood traumas. It's only going to amplify them. Angelina Jolie, actress. She said one of the worst times, absolute worst times in her entire life was after she had achieved success. After she'd achieved fame and crazy um, financial success 
and was in love. And she said, it's a pretty profound statement that Angelina Jolie, of all people, said. She said, I have everything that they say you're supposed to have to be happy, and yet I'm miserable. It always, always breaks its promises. Sin does. Maybe this, this morning you're somewhere in there somewhere in what Jesus calls in Luke 11 a distant country or a faraway place. And if you are, you've got to know this, that in the middle of that, no matter where you are, we just sang about it, he loves you. You may be a hundred miles off course and God loves you right in the middle of that. You may be right in the middle of the deepest, darkest, nastiest sin, God loves you right in the middle of that, which doesn't mean there's no consequences, so don't get me wrong. But his love is steadfast. What is such a beautiful word, steadfast? It, it's never ending. It's unfailing. Think about this. Look, at this. look on the screen, split screen. On one side is the sun on the right. The sun is out in the world. He's in a faraway place. It looks like he's in Vegas. I don't know. But he's living like an idiot. Bottom line, he's living like an idiot. And on the other side is the father, steadfastly loving his kid, never giving up on his son, never forsaking him. All of these are words that are used in scripture to describe our heavenly father, steadfast. He never forsakes his children. And when we read this parable, it's so easy to, to forget about the father and what the father's doing in the background. The father sees and knows what's going on in the kid's life. But the kid doesn't know what, what, what the father's up to. The father is seeing all of it. The father knows all of it. And the father is just steadfastly loving on the son. The son doesn't even know it. The son's 1,500 miles away in Vegas. I'm killing Vegas today. But the son is, son is out there acting like a fool. The father is steadfastly loving on him, never forsaking him, praying for him. Throughout this whole story, the father is watching and waiting and never, ever ceasing to love his boy. What an image for me as an earthly father, what an image that is for me and my two sons. Verse 17, at last he came to his senses, talking about the younger son, and said, any number of my father's hired workers have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember those words. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your guys. Just treat me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he started back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. And he, the father, ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him warmly. Y'all, God is madly in love with you as he reels you back in. God is an incredible fisherman. And he gets the hook and he reels. And as he's reeling you in, he is just madly in love with you. Now, you remember, this is the third parable in this little series in Luke 11 that Jesus gives us about something being lost. You know, he's talking about sheep, and then he's talking about a coin, and then he climaxes his point in this parable, you know, with a kid, with a boy. Now, think about it. Put yourself in this, in this situation. If a lost sheep makes you anxious, if a lost uh, quarter makes you anxious, then you would be going 
bananas over, over, the, over a lost child. That's the desperation that God feels for every single individual person that is lost. So the father is wooing and the father is drawing and the father is calling him back. All of those words, the father is constantly on a hunt for us. He is hunting you down. He's hunting you down. He's seeking after you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's seeking after you. He's hunting you down. He's chasing you. He's seeking us. In John 6, 44, uh, John the apostle records Jesus' words. Chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father, the one who sent me, draws him. The Father is drawing us. And I believe that he uses all of the events in our life, all of them to do just that. He's weaving a tapestry with all kinds of different threads, strong threads and weak threads and blue threads and purple threads and, and good threads and bad threads and, and whatever. But he's using all these events in our life to draw us into a relationship with him, a busted marriage, a wrecked career, something in your life that you were pretty sure was solid is now falling apart, a, a, a cataclysmic health scare. Can any of y'all relate to any of those things? That's just three or four. There's hundreds of things. Our heavenly father will use all of those events, all of those circumstances, all of the trials. They're not purposeless. They're not. He uses them to draw us into a relationship with him. We heard testimonies last week. If you were here last week, you heard on this stage three testimonies. Jonathan, Marianne, and Lonnie that it's, are just examples, and there were three different sets of events, but the events that led them into all three of them, that led them into a relationship with the Lord, all three of those events were not pleasant. Were they pleasant? No, they're not pleasant. But God uses them to draw us into a relationship with him. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and moved with pity, he ran. He ran. It was the father that ran. I remember, think about it, 1995. This would have been before 2000, maybe 1998. We're in Jimboree. Anybody remember store Jimboree? Does it still exist? It does? Susan says no. Whatever. It's a children's clothing store. Cool clothes. Me and Susan and Zach and Will are in Jimboree. Um, Zach is five or six. Will is two or three. And we're looking at all these clothes. And, you know, she's got 40 outfits in there. And I'm trying to weed that down to maybe one. And, we're, you know, we're looking at all that stuff. And Zach's over there and Will's over there. And all of a sudden I turn around Will's gone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where is he? Ah, he's probably hiding under a rack or something. So we're looking under racks. Nope. We look in the dressing room. Nope. We look in the stock room. Nope. We look behind the counter. No. If you're a parent, if you've never had that fit, I pray that you never have that feeling. But he was gone. Like he's two or three years old and he was gone. And the, it's an overwhelming feeling. Like, where is my kid? He's lost. And so I go running out. This is in Peachtree Mall. I went running out of Jimboree into the main thing of the mall. And I turned to the right. And you can see all the way down to the, I guess, even past the middle part of the mall. And I don't know. He was maybe four or 500 yards away. And I saw him. This little kid by himself 
running down the mall. Well, I ran, honestly, like a lunatic. Fly, I mean, like a nutbag, flying, screaming down the mall, hooting and hollering and screaming, and he's just, you know, running. And in, th in th this day, in um, when, when Luke writes this, in this day, men of any stature didn't run because they wore robes. And if they wore robes and they're running, they would be visible a little bit above their knees, and that was shameful. Shameful. That's what happened when, that's why men didn't run men of any stature. I, and, you know, I, I would probably be excluded from that, but men of any stature didn't run. But let me tell you this, there comes a time where, where emotion overwhelms your heart and you will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Consider me shamed because when Will was lost at Peachtree Mall, I would have done anything. I would have run over or through anybody to get him back, to find him, to save him. To, I'd have done anything. I'd have, I'd have jumped in the fountain. I'd have run in the parking lot. I'd have been looking in cars. Anything to find him, to bring him back, and to save him. So he ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him warmly. That's what the Bible says. So God loves you as he throws his arms around you. Have you ever experienced that? Where somewhere inside of you, it's like, like God's still small voice whispers to you the softness and the, and the faithfulness of his love for you, impressing in your heart and in your mind that though you have been reckless, he never stopped loving you. It's like his, that he's never given up on you, that he's never forsaken you, nor will he ever forsake you. It's like I could, like, like you can almost physically feel his arms just wrap around you. I remember the day I got saved in my truck in the dark at 5.30 in the morning. I had that feeling, that feeling of, of my heavenly father just wrapping his arms around me. This crazy love. I mean, just crazy love. And my mind went back to the day that Will um, was lost in the mall. My mind immediately went back to that. When I was running like a nutbag down the middle of the mall, screaming and yelling uh, for my son, and I got to him, and I just picked him up, and I just held him so tight, you know, his little body. It just squeezed him as tight as I could. Not an ounce of anger. Not an ounce of anger about him running off. Not an ounce of condemnation about him running off. Not an ounce of punishment for him running off. It was only love, and it was overwhelming love that he was lost and then he's found. Think about that. I could have had every right to whip his tail in that mall, right? It didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind. The thought didn't even enter my mind because I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess just it was, a, it was, a, it was being, a, and I wasn't even a believer at the time. But it was God doing something, kind of showing me maybe what love really is. And I never really thought about it again until the day I got saved. It's crazy to think about that. Verse 21. So his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the son talking to the father. And it's almost like he's, he's about to give him a big speech. He's about to give the father a big a big long speech of I'm sorry. Not a, not a making excuses speech, but a, 
probably a very humble and bathed in humility and, and, and apologetic speech to his father. He says, I'm no longer, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father totally interrupted him, totally. And probably your Bible has, after the word son, probably has a little line. I don't know if it's on the screen or not. That little line, that little line kind of denotes an interruption. The father interrupted him. The father stopped him from talking. And he said, it's okay, man. Son, I got it. It's okay. Well, dad, that, no, I got it. That, that's, what, that, that's what this is. The father says, there's no need for all that. I don't need all, I don't need the apology because I've got it. You don't even need to go down that road. I don't even need to hear it. I don't even need to, I don't even want to know what, you, what you've done. I don't need to know all that because I've got it. That's what the father says. So the father says, says, what does he say? He says this to his slaves. He interrupts the son and he says to his slaves, quick, bring out the robe. Any robe? No, the best robe. You know who owns the best robe? The father owns the best robe. The best robe is the father's robe. And he put, and put it on him. He tells the slaves, put it on him. And says, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the calf that had been fattened up and kill it. Let's eat and have a celebration. For the son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found and they begin celebrating. So God, God loves you as he bathes you in his grace and makes everything new. He loves you and he washes you up with grace and he just makes everything new. So the father gives him three things, three gifts. He gives him a robe, the best robe that belongs to the father. So, so now the son is clothed and wrapped in the garments of the father. I'm going to assume that the son is filthy. The Bible doesn't tell us that he went and got a big bath and shower. He's coming out of the fields from feeding pigs. He's dirty. But now he's wrapped in the garments of the Lord. And he's clean. And there's a little bit of righteousness in there. So he's wrapped in the garments of the father. He gives him a robe and then he gives him a ring. And a ring is a sign of authority. Not of the authority of a servant. Not the authority of a slave, but the authority of a son, the authority of a daughter, the authority of a child of the king. And he gives him shoes, he gives him sandals. And in the father's house, slaves and servants went barefoot. Children wore shoes. So he gives him the robe and the ring and the shoes. And the son, all the son said, if you remember, the son said, just treat me like one of your hired workers. Just treat me like one of your servants. And the father says, no. And he rejects all of that. And he restores him as a son. He restores you as a child of his. Y'all, when me and you, but the son just says, I just want to be like, just let me be a servant, a, a worker. I'll do whatever. I'll tend to the fields. You know, I'll fix the truck. I'll do whatever. He's let me do all that. The, son, the father says, no, 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 no. You're my child. He's restored as a son. And it's such, for me and you, it's such a natural Thing for us to want to do for us to want to try and that is to work it off I've sinned against God let me let me do some work let me go feed the hungry let me go let me go buy the this dude some food let me let me we, we want to work it off let me do something good let me teach you let me lead a growth group let me come to church Lord Father I'll come to church every Sunday I want to work it's just a natural thing that we would do God ain't having none of that. You cannot know him 
like that. You can't. We can only know him through one of the hardest words, and I can only speak for myself, one of the hardest words for me to get my arms around and to understand, and the word is grace. I can't even understand it. It's so not the way the world seems to be wired up. It's not the, the way the world we all live in kind of operates. You, you reap, there's reaping and sowing, you get what you deserve, right? But the, you can't come to know God that way. You can't. You can only know him through grace. Where's the shame in this parable? Where's the shame from what, from what the son did? It's gone because grace wins. Grace removed it. You know, where's the punishment for what the son did? There is none. God took care of that. Who pays for the reckless and the extravagant living? Not the son. The father absorbed it all. So rather than shame and guilt and punishment and condemnation and probably some corporal punishment and restitution, there's robes and rings and fillets and a party. Think about that. It is exactly not getting what you deserve. That is what grace is. The gospel, y'all's all over this parable. There is no sin that is too wicked. There's not. There's no land that's too far away. There's no recklessness that's too bad. There's no shame that is too cataclysmic. There's no pigsty that's too filthy. There's no depravity that's too depraved that the grace of the Lord cannot handle it. Your sin is not bigger than his grace. You cannot dig, amen, no doubt. You cannot dig a pit that is too deep and too filthy and too nasty that God can't get you up out of that pit. You ain't that important. Maybe say you are that important. You just can't get too bad for God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. The world will tell you that. The devil will surely tell you that. He'll be all up in your ear saying, you see, I told you so. You see, I, I, I told you that you just, you're, you're, that, that's what happened to the son. The loneliness and the hopelessness that he felt. That's all the devil getting all up in his ear. Your past does not determine your destiny. And I know that's a cliche thing to say, but it doesn't. The promises of God determine your destiny. He makes all things new as he, as he wraps you up in his robe. That's the gospel. There's nothing that you and me can do to make him love us anymore. And there's nothing that me and you can do that will make him love us less. This is a crazy thought. Today at 11.06 a.m., he will never love you any more than he does right now. Never. He'll never love you any more than he does right now in this very moment. It doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. This moment in time doesn't matter. If it's tomorrow at 11.06, he'll never love you any more than he does in that moment. Tuesday at 11 o'clock, doesn't matter. He will never love you any more than he does right now. Look at verse 26. Now his older son was in the field. As he came close to the house, notice he was not in the house. He was, as he got close to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant told him, your brother came back and your father slaughtered the calf that was fattened up because he's gotten him back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and refused to go inside. So his father came out and pleaded with him, look, look, the son answered, I have worked for you all these years. I have never disobeyed your orders and you've never even given me a young goat so that I could go have a party with my friends. Yet this son of yours, can't you hear him saying that? This son of yours, and not just this son of yours, but this son of yours 
who squandered your property with prostitutes, and for him you slaughtered the fattened calf. And the father says, son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but has been found. Here's another point. God loves you even when you are too proud to accept the grace. Even when you are rejecting it, he loves you. It looks, so it looks like this older brother is at the other end of the spectrum. He's got it all together, right? At least he says so and he thinks so. He's upright and he's righteous and, and, and he's got it all together and he's doing the right things and he's checking all of these boxes because he's got it all together. Well, not so fast. Remember, we got three characters in this story, the younger brother, the father, and now this older brother. And I think and I believe and I think scripture would say that Jesus has a specific kind of person in mind as he reveals to us in this parable, the older brother. And it's the quote, religious, the religious person who's checking boxes and thinking that he's lived a good, moral, upright kind of life. And because of that, the father owes him something. Because he's lived that way, God owes him something. I'm telling you, he has no concept of grace and he has no real relationship with God. The older brother is not like the father at all. The father loves the younger brother. The older brother hates the younger brother. At this moment, he's near the father's house. He's not in the father's house. He's near it, but he's outside of the father's house. Now, I'm sure he probably had been inside of the father's house before probably many times, but he does not have the heart of the father. He doesn't. He refused to forgive because he was bitter about what he perceives as an injustice. This is a perfect image, y'all, of the self-righteousness of the religious leaders of that day. And don't kid yourself, 2021 is a perfect image of the self-righteousness of many church folk today. It's exactly what it is. It is exactly what it is. And you know, you can choose, you can, y'all, you got choosers. You can choose to stay outside of the father's house. You can choose to stay outside of his love forever. You can. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird because this parable does not resolve. It ends kind of abruptly. Is the older son, is he restored? Does he receive and accept his father's invitation? Don't know. We're not told. So it doesn't really resolve because the story itself, the whole story, the whole parable is an invitation. God offers you a pardon. You can accept the pardon. We stand before a holy God guilty. Guilty. Whether you wandered away 100 miles or whether you wandered away 100 feet, you're guilty. But he offers us a pardon. Well, are you going to accept the pardon? Because he ain't going to cram it down your throat. Like he's not. That's outside of his character. And he's not going to act outside of his character. So he's not cramming the pardon down your throat. You got to accept it. So the father restores his reckless son and he celebrates his return. And like what an incredible model, again, that is for me and you as, as a father. If you're sitting in here today and you're a father, you got sons, you got daughters. What a model that is. And so in this, in this reconciliation, the father absorbs the hurt. 
the father absorbs the financial loss and he's willing to adjust his hopes and his dreams for his child. Here's the shocker. People aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. Sons aren't perfect. Daughters aren't perfect. Fathers aren't perfect. Mothers, pretty close to perfect, but not perfect. Grandmothers, people are not perfect, y'all. And your life is probably not going to unfold according to some blueprint that you set. Probably not. Your children are probably not going to develop exactly according to the script that you wrote when they were six months old. It's first probably not going to happen. And you can harbor resentment and bitterness. You can choose to harbor that if you want. But when it comes to relationships, that is a terrible choice. And it's always a self-defeating choice. 100% of the time it is. Joy embraces others and is infectious. Gentleness and kindness embraces others and, and is infectious. Stubbornness is debilitating. Stubbornness always pushes people away. And because it, it's, it's just riddled with pride. Peace forgives other people. Pride, like pride prolongs the separation between people. It's what it does. And love, this image of the Father's love, biblical love, it always cleans the, the list of recorded wrongs. Does that make sense? Love just washes. You've been keeping this checklist that that your your mother just has just done you so wrong. Your father, your husband, your wife, whatever. You got this long checklist. Love just just cleans the list. And so those recorded wrongs that, that they can just they can just be put away. When a when a lost relationship is found, when when an apology is genuine and, and, and authentic, and when when it's when reconciliation is really sought, then you need to forgive and forget. And you need to absorb the cost and absorb the lost and let the party start. Don't tell me that I, I, I can forgive them, but I ain't gonna forget it. Which means that's code for I'm gonna drag it up, I'm gonna keep it in my pocket, and I'm gonna drag it up whenever I need it. Praise the Lord, Jesus doesn't do that. One of the songs they sang a little while talked about leaving things at the foot of the cross. Thank God I can leave my junk at the foot, left my junk at the foot of the cross. Thank God every time I'd come back up there that Jesus doesn't pull it out of his pocket and say, here, see what you did? That's, but that's what the devil does. That's what the devil does with your sin. He's gonna, it's been forgiven, but he's gonna get in your ear and he's gonna pull it back up and say, you remember what you did in 1996? Like, are you kidding me? Jesus said, I done paid for that 1996 years ago, right? I, that's all been taken care of. You know, for the evangelist, I'm gonna leave you with this. For the, for the evangelist in me, there is no greater principle in, in, in really maybe in all of scripture, but for sure in this parable uh, of, the, of the reckless son, which is really the parable of the loving father, right? No greater principle than in verse 32. And it says, this brother of yours was dead, but has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And you may have been, y'all, you may have been wandering around lost, however old you are. You may have been wandering around lost. And you may not have been the one out being an idiot. You may just have never accepted, you may have just never accepted that invitation. 
Just because you hadn't accepted the invitation doesn't mean that you are out and, and, and being a, a reckless, extravagant, spending, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? There's no degrees of lostness. There's no levels of hell because we're all living in eternity somewhere, somewhere. So you may be sitting here today, you may be watching online and you've just never said yes to that offer, prodigal or not. You just may have never said yes to that offer. But in the middle of your lostness, the Father has never stopped loving you. Listen, I'm gonna say this and you may disagree, but I don't believe it's an effective way to lead somebody to the Lord using the fear of hell. Is hell real? Billion percent. If you die lost, you go into hell forever? A billion times, yes. But fear, I don't believe, is a motivator, is a long-term motivator. I think the Father's love is. I don't think the fear of hell is gonna make me act right. I don't think the fear of hell is gonna lead me to a loving Father. I think the loving Father is gonna draw me and woo me and lead me to himself. And so if you've never said yes today, simple thing, man, simple thing. I repent and turn away from my sin and turn towards the Lord. I confess with my mouth that he is the Lord and Savior and I believe in my heart he walked out of the grave alive. That's it, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. Y'all close your eyes if you would bow maybe bow your heads and just pray with me. Lord, I know that there's prodigals in here. There's reckless folks in here. There's people that are lost. Maybe we wouldn't say they're reckless. Lord, but I know that there are people in here today, there are people watching online that you have been calling for years and years. And Lord, I know there are people in here that are watching on TV. They're gonna, they're gonna accept that today. They're gonna say yes to that invitation. And if that's you, just think through, say these words with me, Lord, today is the day that I repent. Today is the day that I make you my leader and my forgiver. Save me right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, y'all, if that's you, or if you just need prayer, there's a prayer little corner back there, and we would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you about anything. Um, but, I, but if you have made Jesus your, your leader and forgiver today, please let us know. Connection card on the seat back in front of you or, or if you're watching online, go to the website and just go to the connect tab um, and let us know. We got, we're fixing, fixing to, sorry, Susan. We're about to have somebody take the God plunge. And so just hang with us. We're gonna worship a little more Y'all listen, listen, listen to the lyrics of this song. Um, so we're going to worship a little more and then we're going to celebrate the God plunge. <laughs> 